0: Thank you for showing up in the place where we come together and sit in circle and share the stories that inspire us. Get ready to enjoy this next powerful journey outdoors in nature. Hello. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am Tegan, the host of the podcast Powerful Journeys Outdoors in Nature. Uh, I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, I have a very special guest that I'm excited to talk to. And I'm actually, we're doing this recording at the Clarence River Wilderness Lodge, which is uh, which is in, what'd you say, southwest of Brisbane?
1: Yeah, southwest. Yeah, so,
0: so, so that person, just agreeing, uh, is the person who I'll be able to speak to today. Um, and his name is Steve. Hi, Steve.
1: G'day, Tegan.
0: <laughs> so we'll just get straight into it, Steve. Uh, I love our listeners, basically, to understand a little bit more about you. And to do that, I get you to introduce your body and your soul. Uh, to introduce your body, I would love to know how old you are and what stage of life you feel like you're at.
1: Um, I'm 62 years old, uh, and oh, I would say probably about 25 is my mental attitude. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And what does that mean to you? What What's the mental attitude of a 25-year-old?
1: Uh, wants to do stuff, but uh, the body hurts when uh, when you try to. <laughs> okay.
0: So your intention is there. It's just the body is telling you that we need to slow down a little bit?
1: Yeah, yeah. Like today, up and down the hill, um, yeah, my knees are giving me hell this afternoon. So, okay. Yeah.
0: But in saying that, though, I mean, you still, I mean, you live on quite a large property, and I have never seen you ride around on a quad bike or anything. Like, you walk everywhere. Like, you were incredibly active to me.
1: Yeah, well, I I don't particularly like motorised things. I don't like the noise. Um, I don't like the ambience that comes with that. Um, So, yeah, when you're walking, you see stuff, you see wildlife. Um, Yeah, it's a lot more aware of things uh, when you're walking along than, yeah, motorised transport.
0: Totally. Um, And I would love for you to introduce your soul. And that to me is like, what lights you up? What gets you excited? What do you love?
1: Uh, being in wild, remote places, um, and it's a bonus if there's water there.
0: Okay. Um, and I, I mean, I know, luckily, from knowing you for a few years now, that traveling around Australia is something that's so important to you. I mean, you've, you have only been overseas once or twice?
1: Yeah, that's correct. Um, I just love traveling in Australia. Um, just so much to see and do here. Um. Yeah, overseas doesn't grab me. I know there's a cultural difference, but Mm. um, I like what Australia has to offer. Um, And yeah, there's many places I haven't visited yet. So um, um, yeah, plenty to explore in Australia.
0: Totally, and I love it how you prioritise that. You basically go on a trip each year, don't you? And you 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 find somewhere new to explore, whether it's you know in Northern Queensland or whether it's in Tassie or WA. Like you're getting around.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, really looking forward to the this year's trip. We're heading to Flinders Island uh, off Tasmania, and we're sea kayaking there. So just day trips um, out from a um, like a standing camp. So yeah, really looking forward to that. Um, bit bit out of the box. Not not a lot of people do it, but um, yeah, beautiful place.
0: Why do people go? What what's the draw of paddling, and Flinders?
1: Um, uh, beautiful bays, coastlines. Um, And not that many people, being a remote island, um, it's um, not like the Gold Coast. You're you're lucky to see a person (laughs) on the beach.
0: Um, And I guess I would love you to, I guess, paint the picture of how it is and where that you live. Because, I mean, I know your story, but I find it so unique. Um, If you could tell us a little bit about how it is that we're sitting at this table in this patch of land.
1: Um, I suppose it goes back to the... Alternative lifestyle movement in the in the seventies and early eighties. Um, we were city refugees. Um, yeah, looking for something different, looking for a challenge in the, in life. And um,
0: how old were you when you say this kind of happened?
1: Uh, twenty four. Yeah. We were.
0: And you were married with no kids.
1: Uh, married with one daughter.
0: Married with okay, great.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we started early in those days. Not, <laughs> not like now. <laughs>
0: So you find yourself wanting something else, like wanting something different. And how did you end up on this patch of land?
1: Uh, Well, I I did the Nimbin thing. Didn't like Nimbin at all. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it seemed like they'd brought their city hang-ups to to a a beautiful setting in Nimbin. Okay. Um, Had friends on a commune um, next door to where we live now. And I was just traveling around Australia, footloose and fancy free, and rocked up there. And thought, ah, this is a place for me: wilderness, rivers, mm. um, not yeah, not too many people. Um, that was yeah, what I was after.
0: And was there anything here when you got here?
1: No, we even had to follow the bulldozer in as he built the road. So um, it was just a remote cattle property, um, and not a very good one at that. So <laughs> um, yeah, just a. It's mainly mainly bush. Um, we've got uh, three river flats, but and about uh, five k's of Clarence River Frontage and 6Ks of Tulum Creek Frontage.
0: So did that just seem like a challenge to you to just to create something from scratch that felt uniquely you in the middle of nowhere?
1: I think when you're 24 you're fairly naive (laughs) and I think we needed that that to be able to come here and accept the challenge that was here and um, just got into the rhythm of here and now we're institutionalised into the place.
0: (laughs) And what would you say that you've created now?
1: Um, I've created a place I'd like to go and visit so mm-hmm. um, it's not for everyone what we have here but it's um, what I like and what I look for when I'm traveling so mm-hmm. um, I've just yeah taken the ideas and things that I've seen and um, put them and created the wilderness lodge from that
0: yeah and I mean it's this beautiful off the grid house that you raised your two daughters in um, and that i mean you also have huts that people can come and stay in you've got so much camping area that people can come and sit next to the river and i mean you you really have created a little like oasis yeah side oasis yeah
1: yeah well yeah we like it and um yeah it is a beautiful spot um yeah close to major major centers but um yeah not too many people here
0: yeah i love that Uh, And now I would really, I can't wait for you to share, what is a powerful journey that you have had outdoors in nature?
1: Thinking about it, um, I think my most exciting or um, a trip that sort of struck my my soul was our Mitchell River trip, which was 200 kilometres on the Mitchell River um, in North Queensland. So it starts up around Mareeba, um, and comes out into the Gulf. Um, we didn't do the full length of the river, but um, started about thirty k's from uh, where where the river starts, yeah. and f- and finished um, about forty k's in a croc country. So that was enough for us.
0: How many days was this trip?
1: Uh, we'd originally um, worked out to be ten days um, with the paddle legs that we were going to do. Uh, but we were able to do it in eight days because of um, just a few. There's just two canoes doing the trip, and um, we were clocking up between thirty and forty kilometres each day. So, um, you know, the the yeah, we were moving along the river faster than we thought we would. And who is we? I was with uh, Laurie Lawrence, um, who's a paddling buddy and adventure buddy, mm-hmm. and and his niece.
0: Okay, so it's just the three of you.
1: Yeah, that's right, yeah.
0: Okay, and where did this the idea of even doing this river come from?
1: Um, I think I might have read about it somewhere, and then I tracked down some information through um, a person up in Cairns. He was like the expert on it. He'd done it five or six times. But it's not a river that's regularly paddled. Yeah. Um, there's not a lot of information on it in terms of you know where to camp rapids all that sort of thing so um um,
0: was that half the fun
1: yeah it was it was um and yeah nothing too dangerous on it um there's only one grade three rapid so um yeah but yeah lots of moving water so that that was the fun side of
0: things and so why does this one feel so poignant? Because, I mean, you, you live next to a river. I mean, you've probably had more river trips than you have breaths. Like, what is it about this one that seems so powerful?
1: I think in a different location. Um, so, you know, we paddle most of the rivers in the, nor- in the Northern Rivers area where we live. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was something new and exciting. Two-day trip to get there. Um, big shuttle at the end of it to, to get out of the place as well. So, yeah, in the remoteness of it—you know—you're in sort of outback Queensland mm. um, with this beautiful freshwater flowing river.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, what did a, what did an average day look like? So you've travelled two days to get there. You've got this massive shu- um, shuttle. You've—I uh, mean—were you fully equipped and self-sufficient the whole time?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, everything we needed was packed in the canoes with us.
0: Yeah, and so what did what did a day to day look like?
1: Um, well. <laughs> One day much the same as the next, but uh, <laughs> uh, rivers rivers are fairly unique, and um, you know you turn a corner and there's something different that you've never seen before, mm. and that's what the Mitchell River was like. So we're you know seeing different scenery. You might come up against a cliff face. Um, it might be fairly savanna type country, um, and yeah, forever changing.
0: So it was just that kind of like each day you wake up and essentially you're doing the same thing of getting ready, getting in your boat and heading down the river. But like you never know what's around each corner and what you're going to see next. And
1: Yeah, to give you an example of that, um, there's a lot of freshwater crocs there. Okay. So you would turn the corner and these crocs would be sitting up there on a rock ledge and um, just about jump over the, the bow of the canoe. Because so, yeah. they
0: were shocked to see you there.
1: Yeah, they were. <laughs> yeah. I don't see too many canoes going down that river. So, um, yeah, it was a bit of a shock and a bit of a shock for us as well.
0: And so you were just in open Canadian canoes? Yeah,
1: that's right, yes.
0: Okay. And how, how did you feel like your skill level was at for the river? Like, was it just a cruisy ride? Did you get challenged?
1: Uh, yeah, a few times it was um, challenging because we didn't know the rapids. And to scout every rapid would mean... Um, lots of time to sort of get out, walk down, look upstream, all that sort of thing. So a lot of the time you're poking your canoe right at the limit at the top of the rapid so you can see <laughs> what was below you and then at the last minute hammering it, hammering down the rapid uh, as what you thought was the best line from the top. Not the, not the best and safest way to do things but um, um, yeah, reading the river well enough to be able to do that sort of thing.
0: Totally. And I mean, that's that's an art to it. I mean, I know even when I read rapids and you get out of the boat and you kind of have a look at it and you're like, oh, yep, I've got the line, I know where I'm going. And then you get back in your boat and it's a completely different point of view. And you're just like, I don't know where where my line went. Like, does it, that, I mean, you must feel quite confident in your paddling skills that for you, like, that's cheeky. I feel like that's cheeky paddling, like to get up to the top like that and then just run it
1: yeah it is a bit but um yeah good fun too and yeah you don't always make the right decision but usually you've got enough skills to be able to um sort out what your problem is
0: yeah and did you have any like wipeouts or did you just get through clean as anything
1: um yeah no capsizes at all um the one grade three rapid luckily um Laurie decided to paddle it first so um he capsized up the top and swam the whole lot <laughs> oh, no. uh, and I decided that um yeah I after seeing him I I, I found another line and I popped in about two-thirds of the way down the rapid and um, was able to paddle it all right so, so you got
0: to learn from his mistakes basically yeah
1: yeah it's, uh,
0: <laughs> thanks for being the sacrificial canoe as we send it down
1: yeah crash test dummy he was so.
0: yeah and what was it I mean you really seem to be inspired by remote locations is it just what what is it about the because i mean that must have been extremely remote like did you see anyone else when you were on the river the whole time
1: no i saw some campers along the way um yeah no it's well i'm used to being remote i like it um there was yeah interesting story that we were warned about it on the way down the river because there's large cattle properties there and the the cows hide in the riparian um, areas and the way the helicopters muster the cattle out of those riparian areas they, what's a
0: riparian area
1: uh it's the treed area beside the river okay so it's probably different floor in there to the other mm-hmm. the other uh land around there yep so the to muster cattle in that area they send in a helicopter with a shotgun and they blast the riparian area with a shotgun to move the cattle out Oh
0: gosh. so
1: we're warned about that um uh, to be careful of that, so yeah, every time we heard the helicopter noise, we made sure we were in the centre of the river and waving our paddles, so we didn't end up with a, a shotgun blast.
0: Do they do they not shoot the cattle? Like, is it just like a, to scare them out? But wouldn't couldn't they potentially shoot the cattle?
1: You think they could? Yes. Um, don't know so what, their, what their what um, their system is for doing it. Maybe they, you know, make sure that the shot is well behind them and very. Very noisy. I'm not sure what yeah. it is, but um, that's what we were warned about, and that's yeah. what we were taking care
0: of. And so it was you and Laurie and his nephew, you said. A uh, niece. And his niece. What was it like? I mean, that's even like a small group to be doing a trip with. Is it like, is it just a bonding experience? Do you fight the whole time? Do you just sit in silence the whole time? Like, is there, had. what is it like, the, the dynamics? Because I mean, not only on the river, but off the river. I mean, you're in each other's face 24 7. How do you handle that?
1: Oh, no, it's fine. Um, well, you know Laurie nearly as well as I do. Um, <laughs> he's never lost for words and uh, <laughs> always good company. Yeah. Um, Teresa had this fantastic laugh about her. Okay. And, um, yeah, and she was very easygoing. Um, yeah, it was, yeah, it was fine.
0: So it's just this, this beautiful journey just down the river in this remote place, just enjoying it, using your skills, and just, it was just cruisy.
1: Yeah, yeah, and um, not hard paddling because yeah, um, it was white water a lot, of, a lot of the way. Um, the biggest pool we come across was six k's long. Okay. But yeah, most days, um, yeah, there was moving water with small pools in between. So, yeah. Uh,
0: so how would, you, in what way would you sell the Mitchell River to other people? Because if it's been so powerful, like I said, you've done a lot of rivers now, but for it to stand out, like, what is the essence of that river that?
1: Uh, remoteness and easy paddling—those okay. um, th- two things yet yeah, combined together—to to make it a beautiful trip.
0: Yeah, and do you feel like that's actually quite unique? That mixture, like around Australia, as far as for whitewater paddling goes.
1: Um, there's not a real paddling culture in Australia, and I think most rivers you get on, um, it's very unusual to see other people. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I I think. What made it a bit more exotic, I suppose, was, <laughs> the, was the length of paddle. You could paddle 200 kilometres yeah. through large cattle properties. Yeah. And you sh- you know, you're certain you weren't going to see anyone. Whereas if you do any other rivers in Australia, um, you're always going to come across bridges and towns and, oh, and people along sure. the way. So that is the difference.
0: Why do you think other people don't paddle it more?
1: Um well, going back to the paddling culture in Australia, there yeah. isn't there isn't one. Um, Why do you hu-
0: think that is?
1: Yeah, mainly because we're such a dry continent, so okay. um, it's not like in the states where you know every time you turn a corner there's somewhere new to paddle, mm. and yeah, someone somewhere that offers good white water as well. But yeah. Uh,
0: because yeah. we have some cool places to do it, but yeah, we just don't seem to have the kind of same culture. I mean, you know, you look at New Zealand or something where it's just, even I guess people going outside, sometimes I feel like we have to like force people to go outside in Australia, like they don't want to do it. And you're like, it'll be fun, I promise.
1: Yeah, yeah. And there is the issue of crocs on the river, like um, the last 40 kilometres we were in croc country. So you, you paddle um, up to the Mitchell River Falls, which yeah. was a, quite a large falls, so we had to portage around. And from that point, downstream is croc country. Yeah. So, um, you know, we were a bit nervous about that. We, we paddled beside each other, the, both canoes together. Um, and, yeah, we really hammered that last 40 kilometres because, yeah, we didn't like being there in that section of the river. We wanted
0: to so- get out of there. A way of a way of defending yourself is by having the two boats together like what else can you do to protect yourself because they're like stealth aren't they like
1: well our theory was with two canoes together it would be bigger than what a croc was so he would ah. they would see it as something bigger than them and the other precaution we took um when we pulled up we only pulled up in shallow areas not sort of um big sort of deep ponds and things yeah um and for myself, when I went down to the river, I'd always take um, my double paddle with me, so I was ready to, <laughs> ready to whack one on the head if it had a got me.
0: It's like the version of having a baseball bat in your house. You know, if you go if you're here to protect yourself, I love that you took your double paddle just in case. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah get, a, get a bit of distance between you and the croc.
0: That must have been a bit of an adrenaline rush. If you're paddling 40 k's, just knowing that a crocodile could just come and grab you at any point like the heart must have been pounding a little bit
1: yeah well a bit of knowledge with crocodiles is they're they're, they actually like to do a recce on their prey Mm -hmm. first so um if you have the habit of going the same place Mm. two or three times that's when you'll get taken um it's unusual for them to see something and then go for it straight away
0: yeah so you're like if we just blitz it through here with no right like no pattern and then you'll get in you'll get out did you ever see one
1: uh, no, only the freshies. Okay. We thought um, I felt a big bump on my canoe underneath, <sighs> and you know the imagination went wild. Whether it was a rock, <laughs> whether it was a croc, don't know, but something seemed like it was testing the waters and 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 whacking the back of the canoe.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't yeah matter what it is, it's just how you react to it, right? You're just like, Ugh! Yeah. Um, how do you feel like paddling is for your body, like?
1: oh it's great it's needed um yeah i through the drought yeah i'm really feeling it um you know you start stiffening up um you go on the river for a week and yeah you're almost like a rag doll afterwards it sort of (laughs) loosens you up
0: and what is your like what is your preference of paddling like do you prefer to be in a kayak in the canoe just if you could sup the whole thing would you do that
1: (laughs) uh open canoe i like yeah um Sups are good on flat water and just for a cruise around. I find a sup a bit like a meditation. Get up there and just um, forget I'm supping and just standing on water, looking just at the nature beside me.
0: Zone out and yeah, yeah definitely. And I, on the mention of nature, I would love to know: Do you think we are nature?
1: Uh, you'll have to explain that to people. Yeah,
0: like. Um I guess I see a lot of disconnect between people and going outside and it's kind of like almost I feel like nature is quite a daunting place for people to be and I have the opinion where I think that we are nature, like I don't think that there's actually that much difference between us and trees, like they talk to each other and we talk to each other, like we and how we all work together, like the trees give us oxygen and how we're all a part of like the ecosystem, do you see nature as being separate from you?
1: Oh no, never um but i think as we move on in the world um people are getting more and more removed from it and mm. um suffering the consequences of that
0: yeah have you ever felt that because i mean you're so immersed in nature all the time do you ever feel like what it's like to not have that in your life anymore
1: i through the drought um i yeah. struggle with that um looking outside and seeing the dry environment around me so <clears throat> I like, um, yeah, I like the green grass. I like the flowing rivers. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like that exuberance of of a um, healthy environment around me. And when it's affected by drought, yeah, I struggle
0: that. How did that affect you?
1: Um, I lack motivation. Yeah. Uh, I don't like going outside when it's like that. Yeah. I don't like looking at. Um, trees and plants and things around me, sort of wilting yeah. and suffering.
0: Yeah. So how, how did you go with the river when it completely almost had dried up, like in your front yard? Like, do you yeah. just hold hope that the rains will come and it'll all be okay again, or do you...?
1: Um, sit inside and look at the computer a lot. Um,
0: Are yeah. you too secretly addicted to Netflix?
1: No, no, <laughs> our, our... um our internet connection's not good enough for netflix so. <laughs> It's
0: probably it's probably good that way, but. Yeah. So you even you even feel that. I mean, for somebody who's so immersed in nature, when you notice that almost like when something's shriveling up in front of you, you too notice that you do the same thing and you find yourself withdrawing and Yes, yeah, yeah. I
1: do. It's um and this drought is the worst one we've ever seen here and yeah, yeah it's and driving through the forest and you see them the trees losing their leaves and um yeah really, really really struggling that's um yeah it gets to me
0: and I would love to know as well I mean we've just seen this big transition phase so uh where we are you were affected by the fires that are affecting pretty much the east coast everywhere and it were kind of you know it uh it almost like it came on the ridge and then it was put out and you know you were safe and then you know when you were coming home that you'd you saw the fire coming, right? There was something in you, and I mean, it pretty much went through your whole property, and you just were able to save your house. Like, so you had this dry creek bed and this land that was on fire, and I mean, this is this is your home. What was that like for you?
1: Uh, not very nice. Um, it it the fire behaved very differently this time mm. because of the dryness and mm-hmm. and the winds that we're having. So. We've we've experienced maybe five or six fires in the 40 years that we've lived here, mm-hmm. and this one has been different and um, so much more all-encompassing in, in its um, in its results of what it's done. Mm.
0: Do you do you just take it uh, as like a matter of fact that these are the things you have to face when you live in such a rural place that you are um, subject to the environmental changes around you? Is that something you just you know, just understand and just prepare for.
1: We're we're used to floods, we're used to fire, we're used to drought, um, but there's been a quantum leap in in all those things um, that we're seeing in the last few years. Mm. And this this drought and bushfire has has um, shown me yeah this is a lot worse than it's been in the past.
0: Mm. And I'd love to know like how does that affect you? Like, even when you say these things are getting worse, I often see, you know, we talk about people in cities um, are quite disconnected. I mean, I live in a small like surf town and I still feel disconnected sometimes of like the big effect that these fires have had because it hasn't literally been around me. And then I see the people who are often like you live off the grid, you recycle everything. I, I feel like you live very in tune with nature. And then it's often people like you who are the first affected by that. Do you like, What does it mean for your life when you know, when these floods get worse, when these fires get worse, when this drought is happening? Like what does that mean for you?
1: I I think we me and Sharon cope with with the things that are happening around us. I think what we despair for is the future. Mm. the future of the planet and for our grandkids.
0: And how how do you then like what do you do to contribute for that? Or do you just feel hopeless or do you, like, does it give you more strength to keep going?
1: I, well, I think you've got to attack it on a couple of levels. You've got to um, walk the talk. So you you have to live um, how you want to see things change.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and lately, yes, I've, I've had a bit of activ- activism about me. Yeah. Um, not much. I, I. Um, that's not my style at all. But I have started to write to politicians, um, and the you know the people that rep- represent me. So uh, yeah, um, that's about all I can do.
0: Can I ask what what you write to them about?
1: Um, I write to them about climate change, yeah. Um, Human induced climate change, mm-hmm. um, and how our political um, our, how our politicians are, are are actually diverting from the real discussion. Um, yep. Like the last letter I wrote to our local member, he put all over Facebook that the fire was f- the fires in the region were um, mainly lit by arsonists. Okay. And um, is
0: that true?
1: No, no, it's definitely not true. And it was just a deflection from the real conversation. Mm. Um, before that, it was. They were deflecting the conversation, saying that the Greens had stopped all the backburning, and that was the reason for the fire. So okay. it's just a um, deflection from the real discussion that needs to happen.
0: Yeah, and can I ask, when you say you wrote them a letter, did you literally write on a piece of paper and send it to them, or did you write them an email?
1: No, an email.
0: Okay. <laughs> I was just imagining this poetic thing of you writing this letter and going to the post office and sending it off and, you know, I don't know. I'm imagining it coming to their door and hopefully they've had this profound moment of someone's put pen to paper and now it counts. But
1: That sounds good, but, <laughs> yeah, they wouldn't understand my writing.
0: <laughs> Do you get replies from them?
1: Uh, the first one I sent, I I said that if you're going to send me a form letter, don't bother replying. Okay. Because uh, I just, yeah, I wanted something genuine, a heartfelt response to what I was asking. Yeah. And <clears throat> the second one, uh, I haven't received a reply yet, and that's been a, a week or so.
0: Do you write them expecting a reply?
1: Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I believe that they're representing me, and they should be listening to what I'm requesting.
0: Totally. And if you don't get a reply, will you just write another one? Being like, why didn't you reply to me?
1: No, no, that's not my style. Um, I'll just, um, I suppose, put that politician into the category they (laughs) they deserve.
0: Okay, fair enough. And I guess on that note that I would love to know from you, what do you think people can do to help preserve, you know, what we have and make the best of it and, and care for it, I guess, more than anything is there anything that, you know, when you're writing to these politicians and when, you know, even if you're not getting a reply back or, you know, like you say, you're not a big activist, but I feel like you're still quite passionate about the things that you believe in. You know, if you if you could say something, you know, or ask something of people, what would that be?
1: Um, first off, look at your own lifestyle. Yep. Um, look at what changes you can make there. Yeah. Um, you know, I, th- I think. Yeah, if you change yourself, then the world will follow. That's what I've always believed. Mm. Um, yeah, change starts with the with the individual.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, then the next thing is to believe the scientists. Believe what these people are telling you that is happening to our environment.
0: Mm. Yeah, because there is so much information about it now, isn't there? And yeah, it's kind of hard not to not to at least to listen to it and to let the weight of it kind of sit with you. And yeah. But I, I loved your first point of, yeah, I guess use this as a tool to look at how you're living your own life and does that feel integrity with who you are and what the bigger picture you want and what we want for your children and what you want for your, you know, other people's children. Like, is, is that in line? And is there any way that you could make changes? Is there any way in which you would like to make a change in your life that you find that you haven't made yet for some reason?
1: Um, we still use a fair bit of diesel fuel here, yeah. but every, every trip is thought about before we move anywhere, mm. so we're fairly conservative with what we do. Um, I think hybrid cars or electric cars for remote um, country people is a bit hard at this time to, mm. to make that change. So
0: You mean you couldn't get a hybrid troopie? <laughs> is that the dream, to get an electric troopy?
1: Yeah, well, the um, Land Rover are coming out with a Defender um, okay. in, in their next vehicle, and um, that's going to be a hybrid.
0: How much is that going to be worth, do you think?
1: Uh, a lot of money, I would imagine. Yeah,
0: but it'd be cool, though, wouldn't it?
1: It would be. It'd be a start.
0: It'd be interesting, though. Like, How would you, how would you maintain it? because um, like, I feel like you're a bit of a jack-of-all-trades living out here I feel like you fix things you mend things you just you do what you have to do because there's not really many other options what do you do when you have a, a hybrid car?
1: unfortunately that's what new cars are like the, yeah. um, the, it's the maintenance side is taken out of the hands of the indi- individual
0: mm. so. yeah oh, I, mean, I could just see a fancy troopy I think it'd be great but you so just that idea of like you still are aware that you're using the Earth's resources and that, but you do it consciously. So like you say, there is thought put into the trips that you do, and
1: we also offset as well. So,
0: oh, how do you do that?
1: Uh, it's a simple thing by planting trees. Yeah. The more trees you plant, uh, the more carbon's absorbed, and and that will offset the uh, pollution from those
0: vehicles. Okay. And do you how do you pick which trees? Like, cause I, I must admit, you know, like when you go to buy a flight and they're like, oh, offset your carbon by paying $4 extra and we'll do something about it. Sometimes I'm like, is that just a gimmick? Like, is that like to hear of people actually doing it? I don't know, it is nice. a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: so there, in terms of flying, there are areas that are set aside where people, where trees are planted to offset those, that carbon, um, so in terms of picking trees, um, yeah, anything will work. Like the bigger the tree will grow and its longevity, yeah, the more carbon it will absorb over its lifetime.
0: Yeah,
1: um, so yeah, you have that in mind. Um, but yeah, any any tree you put in is is a start.
0: Yeah, and I mean, even on the note of trees, like it's incredible to come down onto your property and see how all the trees are burnt. You know, it's it's like it looks like such a different landscape now. Does that? Do you feel disheartened with that or is it just the beginning of a new phase? Like, Because I'm already saying to see the new regrowth and, I mean, nature knows what to do, right? It just keeps going. But how is that for you? I mean, there's like acres of just burnt trees.
1: Yeah, it's a bit disheartening thinking, you know, all those trees have been burnt or, or fallen over mm. were all sequestering carbon. Mm. Um, you know, the fire a fire is carbon neutral. Mm. That fire... that that carbon in that tree would eventually have gone back in the environment at some stage.
0: Yeah.
1: But um, for me, yeah, the tree loss also, it, it stops sequestering carbon the moment it's gone. Yeah. So that's one thing. The other thing is um, the habitat trees. So yeah. a lot of the big old fellows went in this fire. and um, Some some of those hollows take 300 years to form wow. to the right dimensions for a certain wildlife.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And now they're gone yes have you seen much wildlife around since
1: i've uh, seen koalas oh, one we've, koala one. a rock wallaby um yeah lots of goannas so yeah it's, not ev- everything was destroyed there's, yeah. a, there's a few remnant populations of, of have wildlife. you
0: seen any dead animals
1: uh yes we've seen okay. a dead possum dead wallaby
0: okay so not like a massacre or anything just a you know, like it's—it's it's almost like the amount that you've seen that are alive, you've seen past. Like it's.
1: Yes, um, the fish kill was the worst here. Um, we had a fish kill on the waterhole uh, where there's lots of dead mullet. Um, what does pod. a
0: fish kill mean?
1: It means at, in one time, a whole lot of fish in one place will just die. Um,
0: For what reason?
1: Well, that's the hard thing. Sometimes it's a disease, but with what's happened here, it's to do with low oxygen levels.
0: Okay, so they just don't have enough oxygen, and then they just die, and then wash up on the banks.
1: Ah, uh, yeah, or, or float along uh, on top of the waterhole normally.
0: Okay. And that happened in the river, didn't it?
1: That's correct, yes.
0: But you tried to put oxygen back into the river? Like, what was.
1: Yeah, we were running firefighting pumps, so um, just sucking it out of the river, squirting it up in the air, and letting it fall back into the water.
0: And do you feel like it was successful? Like, did it help?
1: There weren't any more fish deaths after we started um, with the firefighting pumps to oxygenate the water.
0: I just love the way you do that, though. It's like no life is too small to you. You know, it's like of course I'm going to help out. Of course I'm going to try and save those fish. Of course, you know, I'm going to show up for these trees and these animals. And yeah, I really, yeah, I really honor the way that you do that.
1: Yeah, there is um, some of the fish we have here and are endangered. The eastern cod. Mm -hmm. So the the eastern cod we have in this waterhole are genetically different to the other sections on the Clarence River. So it's an important thing to try and save.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Oh well, thank you so much, Steve. Um, I guess, and if people want to come out and experience this special place for themselves, I mean, I know you've closed down over the fire um, due to the fires, and I mean the lack of water, and you've had the odds against you. But hopefully, with, with part of this new year, you'll open back up for camping and people staying for cabins. And do you know when that might happen? Um,
1: we're looking. At a couple of weeks' time, we we'll still yep. have to clear our road, make it safe. Um, but, yeah, with the river flowing again, uh, grass nice and green, um, yeah, it's a nice place to visit again.
0: And where is the best place for people to find the information about it or to book or to look at photos?
1: Uh, website and Facebook. Yeah. So just, yeah, Clarence River Wilderness Lodge. Yeah. Um, uh, just Google that and you'll come up with a whole lot of options.
0: Yep, and give us a call and you'll probably get Shaz on the phone who'll book you in.
1: Yeah, maybe not a call at the moment. Um, the Our phone system got taken out by the oh, fire. Really? So, yeah, best communications, email.
0: So when do you think you'll get the phone back?
1: Um, not sure. Um, yeah, it might be three months, six months.
0: Do you want to get it back?
1: Um, well, yeah, it's an essential part of business.
0: <laughs> okay, because I love, I mean, you don't have any phone reception here. So I guess that landline, if anyone remembers what landlines are, that <laughs> I guess that that was your, yeah. You point out, but how amazing is the internet, though?
1: Yeah, it is, and um, thankfully we've had satellite internet, um, NBN, um, because yeah, it's been a saviour throughout the hot this whole region with with the fires um, in terms of communication. Because most of your your standard communication systems, like your um, mobile phones and your landlines they they all went with the fire yeah so it was only satellite systems that survived
0: yeah that's amazing it's amazing how technology i guess everything within moderation right like it can be such a gift and then it can completely you know change people's lives when they watch it too much or they look at it too much but like everything has a beautiful purpose if you can use it in moderation yeah 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 and i love that you you just like you know you'd like not being near too many people but yet you still have the internet you could still go on instagram if you wanted to yeah
1: yeah i think so
0: <laughs> and can i just say to the listeners that um i was lucky enough to uh that steve had never heard of a podcast before and so i think you've listened to one podcast before and now you're on a podcast so i think that's a pretty good record
1: yeah i quantum leap from listening to being on it <laughs>
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, if you would like to come and visit this beautiful place of the world, you can just go to the Clarence River Wilderness Lodge and have a look at that. Uh, and if, of course, you want to go paddling as well, you can. this is a great place to do it when the water is right. So you can go to journeyoutdoorsinnature.com.au for some inspiration as well. But until next time, I hope you have an awesome day, afternoon, morning, or whatever it is, and I'll see you next time.